It's so good to see you. First off, I just want to apologize. Last week, uh, I was supposed to speak last week, uh, but I had a last-minute change in my schedule, and I was unable to be here. Uh, so sorry for the confusion that that caused. Uh, but last week, we were able to uh, hear Evangel speak on uh, gospel-transformed friendship, which is very important. And we will continue that series a little later uh, this month. Next week, we have, uh, we're, we'll be talking about gospel-transformed family relationships. So we're in this series called The Gospel-Transformed Relationships, and we're learning about the ways that these relationships have been shaped by God and the ways that the gospel infiltrate every aspect of these relationships. So we talked about singleness when we first started, and we learned that singleness is a time for devotion, and it is a gift of God, and is used to sharpen us to become more connected with God. It is singleness is a time for devotion. Marriage, we, when we learned about marriage, it really is a mission for us, for those that are married, to be propelled into the world to demonstrate the way that God has shaped marriage. Remember when we said sacrifice is the fuel for marriage and uh, submission is the pattern for marriage. So marriage is a mission to display that within the relationship, but also to the people around us in our community to display Christ. And dating, last time when we talked about dating, we said dating is a time for evaluation. Dating is the process that we go through to evaluate. It's not a... Uh, it's not a status. You are not, that your status should not be dating, but dating is the process in which we move through to get towards uh, marriage. I just want to remind us about some of the things that we spoke about uh, last time. Don't worry, we don't have a lot of statistics today. I'll just remind you. Uh, <laughs> but we talked about the difference between how the culture sees love and what the Bible speaks about love. In the culture, uh, we see love mostly as transactional. How much gain can I get with a certain amount of investment? At what point is my investment worth what I give? When the relationship appears to require more love and affirmation from us than we're getting back, then our tendency from what the culture's perspective is, is to cut our ties. The culture has a consumeristic view of, uh, of love. It's thinking, what can I get most out of it? Minimum sacrifice, maximum return. But the biblical perspective of love is very, very different. When the Bible speaks of love, it measures it in primarily how, not how much you want to receive, but how much you're willing to give of yourself to someone. We looked at Ephesians 5, and we saw how that is described in that text. And then after, when we, after we laid out the differences between biblical love and cultural love, we talked about what it's like to be equally yoked. We had an illustration with Kranti and Shweta here being tied together by a scarf, and we were saying that in our closest relationships, we want to make sure that we are aligned on the things that are most important to us. Yes, diversity is good within a relationship, but when 
the most closest relationships, we want to be aligned, going together at the same pace, at the same, to the same place. 2 Corinthians 6 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We ended off two weeks ago saying that when we're deciding on who to date, when we're evaluating for marriage, the most essential and fundamental thing that we should be thinking about is whether or not their allegiance is with God and whether or not that is the same with you. Now, uh, when I spoke about talking about dating, there are people in the leadership team and they're saying, wow, Chris, I don't know you have so much to say about dating. And uh, I don't. I don't have too much to say about dating. Uh, some of these people on our team have seen me go through the process of dating, so that's why they say they're surprised that I'm talking so much about dating. Um, but I really don't know a whole lot about dating, but I believe that as a church, we need to have conversations about these issues and what the Bible has to say about relationships, because what the Bible has to say about relationship offers so much more hope and so much more security than the, what the world has to offer because it is rooted in Christ. The harder, it's harder than ever to navigate through the difficulties of these relationships. We have social media, we have different platforms to talk to different people in different ways. The rules are always changing. It's changing at an accelerated pace. The complexities of social communication is now more complex than ever. And so as a church, we need to talk about how to navigate this complex world so that we can be rooted in the Word together. We need to help each other out. We need to have conversations. Um, I just want to say there's uh, next slide. I don't believe our clicker is working, but uh, there are some books here uh, that uh, that I uh, used uh, to help research this topic. Um, I highly recommend you can take a picture of these if you want, or you can come talk to me afterwards. I'm happy to point uh, to these resources. Um, and I'll be borrowing a lot of uh, what some of these books have to say uh, this morning. I just want to say that I cannot cover this morning all the different situations. Uh, every situation is unique. There are so many nuances in dating. I won't be able to cover every single situation. But I want to present to us basic principles for us uh, to follow and for us to think about. If you have a question uh, and you didn't have an opportunity to submit that question, please come to me afterwards. I'm happy to talk about it. The chances are I probably don't know what the answer is, but uh, we can talk about it together and we can figure it out together and we can seek God together uh, about these questions. Um, the last thing I want to say is that uh, I want to invite the congregation to all clue in uh, to dating and what we have to say this morning. Some of us are thinking, okay, I dated 40 years ago. I don't need to hear this. But I believe some of the principles that we're talking about this morning are very important for all our relationships, not just dating relationships. The second thing is that we need to talk to each other and have a platform where we can share about our experiences, uh, about what we went through, so that we can t 
guide people along the way the places that they have not gone to and share our own ways of navigating these storms while understanding that the circumstances are different now. But I want us to have a platform as a community to share openly about our successes, but also our failures. So without further ado, we talked about allegiance being the first character that we need to look for when we're thinking about who to date. The second character today is what we're going to talk about. So we're going to land in Proverbs uh, this morning. Uh, now, Proverbs is a uh, book in the Bible that is part of a series called Wisdom Literature, right? So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job's are three books in the Bible that are classified as wisdom literature. And what does wisdom literature mean? Well, wisdom is the accumulated insight of God's people through generations on how to navigate and to live well in a way that honors God and others. So it is important for us this morning as a church to listen to what, when, when we're thinking about how do we navigate dating, we need to listen to what the Bible has to say about navigating these complex relationships. And though it's written many thousands of years ago, it is still so important for us to hear because the context can change, but the principles remain, all right? There was no dating back then. There was no, the evaluation looked different, but the basic biblical principles that we're landing on this morning are the same uh, through time. Now, throughout Proverbs, there is a running theme where the writer keeps referring to as the source or the foundation or the fountain of where all of these wisdoms lie. Now, it's not strategies, it's not self-help books uh, that we see so pervasive now, but what Proverbs say time and time again as the foundational source of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We see from Proverbs 9, uh, 9, 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The phrase, the fear of the Lord, or the fear of God, is repeated more than 20 times in Proverbs. But the tricky thing is when we talk about the fear of the Lord in churches nowadays, sometimes we get nervous, right? Oh no, we're, we're going to talk about the fear of God. Uh, I don't want to fear. Fear is bad. That's true. When we think of fear, sometimes we think of fear like a fear of an abusive father or a fear of and a, a big elephant that's about to trample us. When we think of fear, sometimes we associate it with terror, but that is not the same view of what fear is in the Bible. When the Bible speaks of the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom, it's not talking about terror. It's not talking about a fear of an abusive father. It offers a very different view. We see examples of this sort of encounter many times in the Bible. For example, when Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah meets God, he is struck with fear and he, he goes face down and worships God and he says, woe is me, woe is me. And his life has changed from that interaction. In Luke, 
uh, when Peter sees Jesus and all his perfection, he is struck down in the fear of the Lord, face down, worshiping God. And Revelation and John, when John sees Christ, uh, he is struck down, face down, and ready to worship God. Also having a clear picture of how inadequate those three people were. They're saying that you are God and I am definitely not. And I'm not sure how I can be alive right here, right now in front of you, but it's only by your grace that I can be here, not, not dead and toasted and gone. There is a face-down submission. So the Bible defines fear of the Lord, and this is how I like to define it, the fear of the Lord as a radical God-centeredness that shapes everything else in life. Building your life around God, you take God more seriously than anything else, whether it is other priorities or opinions, whether it is convenient or not. The fear of the Lord is not about terror, but it is about radical God-centeredness, seeing God as more serious than anything else, prioritizing His priorities and opinions, whether it's convenient or not in our lives. It's a sense of awe and reverence and an understanding of His holiness. When we see God in His holiness and all that He is, we begin to have the correct perspective on how we are far more sinful and wretched than we can ever imagine. But when we see God for who He is, we would never think that we can possibly ever solve our own shortcomings with our own efforts. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The fear of the Lord leads us to realize that we cannot run from God, but the only option is to run to Him and to find the arms of a Father wide open, ready to receive us, ready to embrace us in grace. The fear of the Lord does not lead to legalism. Legalism we need to reject as a church and as believers, but what it does is that it leads us to an obedience of a gracious Father because with the correct perspective, with the correct fear of the Lord, of who God is, we will want to trust Him. We will want to submit to Him. The fear of the Lord does not lead to legalism, but the fear of the Lord leads us to the foot of the cross where we're able to see God in His grace, who He is in all His holiness, how far we fall short of that, and our reaction to that is not to run away because we can't hide from Him, but it is to run to Him to find a Father that is ready to embrace us. So we're going to land this morning in Proverbs 31. Uh, Proverbs 31 is the last chapter of Proverbs, and it is written by a king called Lamuel. Lamuel is recalling, is remembering things that his mom has told him about, uh, about finding a woman. And uh, what the mother is doing is painting a portrait of what a woman looks like 
when she fears the Lord and how that in many practical areas in her life, when they're rightly shaped by God and foremost, these other areas, what they look like. All right, so Proverbs 31 talks about a portrait of a woman that fears God and the areas in her life and what that looks like. Proverbs 31 is a Hebrew acrostic poem. That means in Hebrew, each line starts with a different alphabet. So it's a poem, and then the ending of this poem ties the whole book together. The whole book of Proverbs have talked about what wisdom is and all these elements of wisdom. And Proverbs 31 is, persona, is letting you see how that has worked out in someone's life. So let's read uh, Proverbs uh, 31, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Amen. That's, that's, if, you have, if you have problems, find, if you're single here this morning and you have trouble finding a wife, uh, an excellent wife, it's history. Like this, is, this, is, this has been a, a struggle for many, many thousands of years. Anyway, <laughs> let me get back to it. Proverbs 31. An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She, raises, oh, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and provisions for her maidens. She considers a field and, buy it, and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is pros- profitable, her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat bread, the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And here, here's the last part of the passage and the last part of Proverbs. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give 
her of the fruit of her hands and let her work praise her in the gates. Here in Proverbs 31, we see an example of a woman who centers her life on God in all aspects. We see that her husband is a trusted partner in verse 11. We see that she is a wise investor. She is responsible and she is also capable in verse 16. She knows how to navigate the marketplace shrewdly in verse 11, 18, and 24. She is a tireless worker in verse 15, 18, and 19. But with all her success, she does not indulge in the profits of her success. She helps those that are poor and in need, verse 20. Generosity is a lifestyle for her and not an exception. She is a capable teacher and is well acquainted with wisdom in verse 26. She disciples her children well in verse 26. Her husband and her children praises her. In all she does, she is full of integrity. The writer is trying to tell us that when we have a radical God-centeredness in our lives that shapes all aspects of our lives, when we take God more seriously than the way we approach anything else, when we pursue God with everything, more and more areas of our lives start to reflect Him. The second character that we're looking at this morning when we talk about who to date is an evaluation of their pursuit. Do they have a fear of the Lord that motivates all areas of their lives, even when it's inconvenient or hard. I have had many friends that have uh, dated a Christian, uh, but when they date them for a period of time, it, is very, it becomes abundant, abundantly clear that their pursuits do not match what they profess to believe in. I have had friends uh, that have dated a worship leader, and on Sunday, he would lead worship with the band on stage, but on Sunday afternoon, he would go and pressure his girlfriend into sex. He was only being a Christian when it was convenient. He was only saying that he pursued God when it was convenient for him. And when it didn't line up with his own desires, he decided to achieve his own agenda, strive for his own agenda. On the flip side, um, there is a young woman at a church that I went to that uh, knew how to play the Christian game so well. Uh, she was so filiopitous. She was so house on. She knew what to say to the elderly people. Everyone loved her. On the surface, it looked like she had this great, um, great sense of what Christianity is. But when she dated one of, uh, a, a friend of mine, it, it was abundantly clear that she became more and more abusive to him. She was abusive psychologically and also socially. Uh, so it was clear that her pursuit did not match what she was saying. Her allegiance, she, she said her allegiance is with God, but her pursuit was in something else. 
you want to link up, when we talk about dating, you want to link up with someone who will have an anchor of confidence in the Lord that will keep from being unmoored, being moved from anxiety. That he or she will give good advice when you need to process decisions. And that he or she will speak to you with gentleness when they challenge you. That he or she will have an industry, a hardworking nature about them, that their labor in the home and outside will serve to encourage your children and not discourage them. Church, when we're looking for a partner, find and be someone that fears the Lord. Because when we come to a situation where there is a decision that needs to be made, you want to rest secure knowing that your partner's priorities are God's priorities. When there is a temptation in his or her life, whether it's in careers, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in sex, you want to know where their default heart position is. You want to know that their default heart position is the fear of the Lord. Their default pursuit is the fear of the Lord and not their own agenda. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're not saying that for you today, you have to look for someone that is perfect. But what we're saying is the default heart attitude that pursues the only one that is perfect is important. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be perfectible. You don't have to look for someone that has it all together, but you need to look for someone that is pursuing the only true God that has it all together. So the second trait that we're looking for is an evaluation of their pursuit. First trait, allegiance. Second trait, pursuit. Church, do not settle on this. It's so important for us to look for someone that pursues God fully. It's so important for all of us to be the person that pursues God fully. We're going to move into a time uh, where I invite my wife up. Um, you've heard a lot from me, and from my four years of marriage, I know that if I'm the only one talking, usually there's something wrong. Uh, so I'm going to invite my wife up, and we're going to share a little bit from our perspective on uh, what our experiences were. Now, first and foremost, I just want to say that uh, we're nowhere close to being perfect. Uh, but I just want this, again, to be a platform where we share uh, our successes and failures, where we're able to talk about this as a church, uh, even when it's hard or difficult, so that we're able to talk to each other about our own experiences. I want to help us model what it's like to talk about some of these issues. And I want to address uh, some of these basic principles uh, that we saw uh, when we were dating. Now, um, again, if you're not in a dating relationship, don't switch off, uh, because these principles apply beyond just a dating relationship. It's how we should relate to one another. Uh, so just as a summary, oh, okay, sorry, I'll let you sit. Uh, just as a summary, uh, we met in 2015, January, 
uh, through a mutual friend that used to go to this church. Um, and we met in Sydney in Australia while I was on a work trip. Uh, and then about, a f I don't know, like half a year later, we started dating. Uh, and in that process, we were dating uh, long distance for about 10 months. Um, and afterwards, Annie came to Hong Kong and we dated for like a year or more before we got engaged and eventually got married. Um, yes, so let's, I think it's better to hear from Annie about some of these things than it is to hear from me. Uh, so we've collected some of the questions and some of your questions are reflected in the ways that I've um, worded these questions. Uh, okay, so without further ado, hi Annie, how are you? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you how I feel after. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whether or not I sleep on the couch uh, hugely depends on uh, my performance today. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, so, the first question that we have is, how did you evaluate each other? So, what is it that we did in our dating lives, or even before we were dating, to see that uh, we were a good fit for each other. And thankfully, you decided to marry me, so that, that's good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I believe in miracles, and this <laughs> is definitely a sign of a miracle. <laughs> I mean, I think the list could be very long. <laughs> um, but it, if I, I think the, the list also changed as I grew as a person as well, as I matured as a Christian. Um, and I think it, I definitely had to identify some deal breakers and some non-deal breakers. For example, um, I'm a person who doesn't, uh, to me, if, if my wardrobe has a lot of big, bright splashes of colors, I might not feel very comfortable. Um, but seeing him, like when I initially met him, I saw him wearing some of the brightest colors and I was just like, I don't know, I don't know about this. Egg like, color pants? My pants looked like eggs. Yeah, yeah. and like he said, egg, egg yolk colored yeah. pants. Lime green t-shirt. Lime green t-shirt, yeah. green like the Grinch, and it'd be all on one set. And I was just like, ah. um, but obviously, like that is just something that I didn't have to focus on. It's not a deal breaker, and it took time. And finally, I'm proud to say that after four years of marriage, those pieces of clothing are no longer in the wardrobe. <laughs> it took four years, but. <laughs> Um, I think for me, the most important thing, um, most important things, um, I think echoing your sermon was, first of all, allegiance um, and pursuit. Um, I think um, for me, I've been in multiple relationships before Chris and I dated Christians, um, so the allegiance was always there. Um, but the pursuit was always something that was different. Um, and I think, in evaluating that, I think um, having the pursuit, um, knowing that his devotion is after God and knowing that that's what he wants to do, um, it helps hit to shape his character as well. Um, and for me, um, evaluating his character um, by watching how he spends his time, like if, if he's truly a Christian, um, and that should show not just in words, right? Like it should show him in his actions. Um, and for me, that was very important to, to observe. 
um, just watching what his pursuit is like through the lens of time. Um, and second, um, obviously chemistry is very important. Um, we have to be able to carry a conversation, <laughs> um, especially when we're doing long distance and we couldn't, like, I, I guess, spend time face to face a lot um, and to be able to talk to each other. Um, we did that a lot. We just kept talking and we would have... Like, we talked a lot. Like yeah, a lot, like yeah. whether it's texting or over the phone. Um, and we spent a lot of time just talking about different topics in life. Um, I think for me, that was important too. Like I couldn't see him, but I need to evaluate him as a person and we would talk about different things. Um, little things, like it could be the silliest things, like things we saw on Instagram. It could be more serious things like um, adoption, which was something that um, was pressed on my heart. And I think it was very important for me knowing that um, the person that I'm dating, um, because I would be dating you know, with the goal to marry someone, right? And that person needs to be at least open to, to adoption. Like, um, and that's, that is something that I would um, evaluate as well. So when we look at character and chemistry, how did that fit in? Feels like a trick question. <laughs> um, I think the chemistry definitely just grew. Um, it, it wasn't something that I'm like, okay, I met this person. Even with my ugly clothes. Yeah, I just yeah. had to, you know, just cover him, yeah. just look at his face, and just cover the color of the shirt and the and the pants. Um, uh, chemistry was not something that I was uh, necessarily going for initially. Um, even though I think a lot of times that's the first things that the media portrays, the movies portray. Um, and even amongst friends, right, when I would talk with friends, some of my friends, they might, the chemistry would be the, one of the first things that they bring up. Um, but for me, um, I think just from uh, speaking with even members from church, um, some of the women um, who, were, um, who were more experienced with dating or they've you know, gone ahead, they've done all of that, and just speaking with them and knowing that the priority has to be on the character. Um, and that just shapes uh, whether, whether you're suitable <laughs> as, as someone that I want to spend more time with. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Annie. Uh, I'm glad you think I'm suitable. <laughs> um, but I think also uh, what you said was so good, uh, talking about uh, chemistry, that our, our chemistry didn't just, you know, it wasn't like a big bang explosion in the beginning and, and slowly fizzle out throughout marriage. I feel like that's something that the culture uh, talks a lot about, right? Uh, that it's an initial explosion of chemistry and it's romance and it's great people, like Greco-Roman, like poems and like singing to each other. But I, I feel like in real life for us, what we've, what we've experienced is as we got to know each other, as we progressed through, even through our marriage, uh, our chemistry grew. Uh, so it wasn't uh, a foundational block. In fact, the foundation for, for us was our character with each other. But we had to like, talk, we had to, like to talk to each other. That's important. Um, but slowly that chemistry grew as we, even as we uh, are in our marriage. Anything else to add? No. <laughs> chemistry? So how was community a part of that evaluation process? Um, for me, community was very important. And I, 
thought it was a little challenging to get that piece in our dating relationship just because we did spend a lot of time apart initially. Um, but uh, thankfully, like we both value time spent with community. So whenever he happened to be in Sydney for work again, um, we would always make sure that we schedule time with my community, whether it's um, time with my church uh, ministry or with my school friends. Um, and just, um, I, I, I guess I wanted to make sure that I wasn't the only one discerning um, this person or the, the suitability of this relationship myself. Um, because a lot of times, as you know, I don't know if it's uh, as true for it is for guys, but for girls, I feel a lot of times we can be very emotional. Um, it's a lot of emotions and feelings involved in the relationship and you could feel, or I could feel like infatuated, especially in the beginning. And that could lead to some blind spots and you're not able to discern as wisely. Um, and so, like having community in our relationship was nice that I felt that there's safety in that, yeah. Yeah, and we were quite purposeful in going to each other's small groups uh, when we were dating as well. So there was a season where Annie wasn't part of EEC uh, and uh, she would come to EEC in the morning and I would go to her previous church in the afternoons and we would make it a point to go to each other's small groups as well. Uh, just to see each other in that community context and see how they relate to each other in the church because those relationships are important to us mm -hmm. and seeing how we relate to each other in those contexts was an, an important way for us to discern where their pursuits were. Right. So we talked a lot about how we evaluated each other so I just want to talk a little bit about how we navigated the confusion and complexity of dating relationship. So how did you navigate the confusion and complexity of a modern dating relationship, especially going from just friends to dating? Um, I think for me, he asked me this question the other night, and I felt like it was a trick question. But um, I don't ask trick questions. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Really, there wasn't like a switch, like a turning point, like, oh, we're friends one moment, and then now we're like, because we're dating now, everything feels different. I think it definitely f felt very much the same. Um, and we just started being friends first. Um, and for me, that was personally, that was something that I was praying for um, before meeting him. Um, I was specifically praying to God about um, just having... I think at, at that point I was just giving up on like dating and I felt like oh it's like it's it's impossible to find someone and I remember just surrendering it to God and I remember specifically asking him like you know if there were to be a suitable person like may it be someone that I could be friends with first that we would have friendship as a foundation um and so we we started with that and I think if if it's someone that I'm eventually gonna share my entire life with them, it only makes sense for that person to also be my best friend, someone that I could share everything with, like the, the best of times and the ugliest of times. And it, I just could not imagine, I guess, sharing life but then hiding or keeping parts of it away. Um, uh, so friendship uh, was, was the foundation of, of our dating relationship. And I think as we grew closer together as a couple, as a dating couple, 
our friendship also grew as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we started off as friends in our relationship. And I think this is where a lot of complexity lies in dating relationship, right? At what point are you a friend? At what point are you, are you a boyfriend? At what point uh, are you uh, something else, right? Are you an in-between? What are we doing? Are we just hanging out? What's going on? So what are some ways that clarity was part of our relationship? In a good way, maybe? We can start off with the positive. <laughs> yeah, we can start on a positive note, and then you know you can learn from our mistakes. Um, the, I thought uh, initially, I think so, we met, and then we spent a few months just chatting, getting to know each other. Um, and then it got to a point where there was a tipping point from being friends to you know the, the relationship becoming a little bit more. Um, and we would have to share a little bit more personally, be a little bit more vulnerable with each other that would exceed the bounds of a normal friendship, especially between a guy and a girl. Um, and I think before that tipped over from, I guess, just pure friends to wanting to get to know each other on a more personal level, um, you did something good. Um, he brought up just, like he just wanted to talk and um, just explaining his intentions and the, um, feeling like, hey, this relationship, you know, as it's progressing in its natural course, it's bringing us to a point where, you know, if we continue on with this relationship, the next natural step would be to, to explore further, be a little bit clo more closer emotionally and sharing a little bit more. So I think that was something that was good that I needed because uh, I got to a point where I was just like, why am I talking to this person so much? Like, um, it, it's nice to talk to this person, but like I also don't don't know how where it's going if we're just friends. Um, so that clarity, I guess, conversation that we had was really nice, and um, we could identify where we were in the relationship, and there's less ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. just want to read uh, a Bible passage about this. Um, says in uh, Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away any falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, uh, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members uh, one with one another. So I think it was important for me uh, to be completely honest. Obviously, we need to guard each other's heart and so on, but I think as we progressed to a point where we, I felt like we were talking more than a bounds of a normal friendship, it was important to clarify uh, where we're heading, that we're, we're exploring what a dating relationship with each other would look like. So what are some ways we failed at clarity? Um, we started off pretty good, but then in the middle of it, I think at one point, um, there was lack of clarity when we didn't, we were very hesitant to call each other, to have a label to call each other boyfriends and girlfriends um, for different reasons. I think, what was the reason again? I think it was because we didn't, we weren't in the same city and we yeah. didn't. Uh, uh, I think it's yeah. just because then we would just be long distance. Long distance and I think part of it felt like a virtual thing. And yeah. It didn't feel real. Like, I don't even spend that much time in real life with this person. Um, but then in not having that label, there is also, a, in a sense, 
not no real commitment from this person or from each other. So even though you know he was genuine and all of that, but there was just a little part that was missing, and I was very confused by that. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about friendship uh, being, you know, we we are to be friends with uh, our neighbors, our, our our the people in our community, and before we're married. We're, we're each other's brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're, we're each other's neighbors, and we are told um, in Thessalonians to encourage one another, build each other up, and that is true for our dating relationship as well. And we talked a little bit about uh, clarity uh, being something that uh, was helpful and, and gave us a way to navigate the, the difficulties uh, of, of dating relationships. I just want to touch on autonomy. Um, in 1 Timothy uh, 5.2, it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and all purity. So before we're married, the Bible sees us as brothers and sisters, right? We are not, you, you have no... Uh, obligation to submit to what I'm asking you to do, and likewise the other way. How is this a part of our relationship? Um, well, you, you never pressured me or hinted in any way that I should come back to Hong Kong after studying. So I was just, I was still in Sydney, I was studying, and um, there was always possibility for me to stay there. Um, and even though, obviously, he would very much have loved for me to come back here, it was never something that he was like, oh, you should, you should come back or, you know. Um, um, and, you know, in terms of my involvement, my time spent as well, like what, what sort of ministries I was involved in or, um, like, where I would go for vacation, how I should, would spend my time, like, all of that, like, you were supportive of, you know, whatever I was doing, and you would ask about those decisions, but, you know, we weren't married, so you were listening as a friend, um, and I think you also knew that God has his plans as well, like, even if you wanted me to move back, and if that's not what God had planned for, then that would never happen, yeah. So, I, I want to jump ahead to our last question, and this is a little bit more serious, and the question is, in the midst of um, the hookup culture nowadays, hookup culture means people find each other on uh, apps and they have sex, and it's one night stands. So this is a popular culture that we have. Um, so in the midst of hookup culture, what, how was purity an aspect of our relationship? Um, well, I think we all know as a you know, Christian bubble, I guess, um, from church that, you know, sex is reserved for marriage. So that was something that I always knew. Um, uh, and also from friends, from friends that weren't Christians necessarily, um, especially girls, and how they would share with me the impact on them, whether it's emotionally or mentally or psychologically, um, after sex outside of a marriage. Um, and so just from different sources, you know, I would learn that that's, that's not somewhere I would like to go. That's not somewhere that the Bible said I, need, I should go to outside the bounds of a marriage. Um, and, and it really makes sense because the Bible also talks about sex as the ultimate form of intimacy. Um, and with the ultimate form of intimacy, it should 
happen in the highest form of commitment um, within your marriage, a covenant relationship that's not meant to be broken, that it's safe. Um, and so that was very clear in my mind that you know that's not an area that I want to tread into. Um, and I think prior to meeting him, like I did have multiple relationships, even though they were Christians, um, and they would not pressure, but they would really suggest like, okay, it's okay, let's have sex. Um, and those were relationships that I had to end. And it, it did get to a point where I really felt like this is never gonna work out. Like I would never be able to find someone who is Christian, even though Christian, but is okay not submitting to God and it's and the, what the Bible says. Um, this is just never gonna happen. Um, uh, and I think it, so I think in our relationship, like I really appreciated that we both um, submitted to God in that um, and knowing that yes, you know, there will always be temptations um, and your fleshly desires, but knowing that there is something else that we need to be submissive to and we need to submit ourselves to God and not to our own um, desires. Um, and knowing that we we're aligned in that, I think that was that was important. Yeah, Th thanks, Annie. I, I just want to add to that um, with a couple of pa Bible passages. Uh, Hebrews thirteen four says, "Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage be a bed let marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous." 1 Corinthians 6, 15 to 18 says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I think this, this passage is drawing the tie between sex and a covenant marriage from, from Genesis, be, becoming one flesh. And it wouldn't be a sermon if we didn't offer a little bit of science. Sex, when you have sex, the body releases dopamine and oxytocin, which, as many of you know, bonds you with someone emotionally, right? And when that happens, it creates a very strong physical bond. And w what the problem is, if that happens outside of marriage, in, in a dating relationship or any other relationship, that relationship can end in a heartbeat. It can end in a text message. It can end in a phone call. But within the biblical covenant marriage, that marriage is secure, and that bond should not be broken. So another aspect of why I think uh, sex before marriage is really dangerous is because of this bond, while, uh, the physical bond that we have while we're evaluating with each other, uh, evaluating whether or not we're suitable for marriage, it's far hard for us to see when they're not suitable. What sex does is it adds a physical component to evaluation 
when it, that's meant for marriage. And I've had friends where they've had sex before marriage, and soon after that, they realize that they're not good for each other. They're, they're, not suited, they're not with the person that they want to be. And it was so hard for them to detach from each other because they had the physical relationship that bonded them together, even though they knew the healthy thing would be to stop that relationship. So sex before marriage is, is really uh, a design by God to protect us uh, from hurts, uh, from uh, being disjoined from someone, uh, and it is a way of honoring God in our relationship. Thanks, Annie. Thanks for uh, speaking up here. Uh, I just wanted to close with a couple of thoughts. Um, and I, I just wanted to speak to two categories of people as we close uh, this, this afternoon. The first group is um, the people here. Uh, maybe we've been at church for a while. Maybe we're here. We've been Christians for a long time. I believe God this morning is reminding us to fear him and to pursue him above everything else. Um, to see his holiness and to juxtapose his holiness, to compare his holiness with our depravity. I think God is calling us to be a church like that this morning. In Acts 9, 31, it says, So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and multiplied. I believe for us as a church to grow, God is calling us to walk in the fear of the Lord. He's calling us to pursue Him in all areas of our lives. Maybe some of us along the way, we've exchanged our pursuit with God with something else. Maybe it's a career. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's how we relate and treat others. Maybe it's something more uh, innocuous, maybe it's something that is not as obvious. Maybe we're pursuing our own reputation and how we desire others to, to see us. Those things are good things, but when they become the ultimate thing, we start to say that we fear the Lord, but our hearts are doing something else. We end up pursuing God only when it's convenient for us, only when it aligns with our desires and ultimately we could be saying we're pursuing God but we would be lying to ourselves and we know it God is calling us this morning to shape our lives around him to see how much we need him and to respond in submission and obedience the second category of people that I believe God has a word for this morning is the people that are living in the fear of rejection. I've heard a sermon once that said, a lot of decisions in life are based out of the fear of rejection. We make a lot of these choices based out of the fear of rejections. I wonder if that's true for a lot of us this morning, that a lot of us are living under the burden of the fear of rejection. Maybe we're walking around in our communities hard trying to please everyone Maybe we're doing things in order for people to love us. Maybe we think we need to earn people's love. The pain of trying to earn 
love so that we can feel valuable. And the pain of broken relationships is something that maybe some of us have been carrying around for a long time. Maybe some of us have even believed that that is what identifies us now. Maybe it's a past shame, a past failed marriage or a failed relationship that we think that that identifies us. I think God has a word for us this morning. When we have a biblical sense of fear, when we see our Heavenly Father in all His radiance and His holiness, and when we drop to our knees and say that you are God, you are Lord over my life, I am not a God. Your thoughts are higher than mine. Your plans are greater than mine. My life is not about championing my own causes, but it's about championing your kingdom. And the greatest satisfaction that I can possibly have in this lifetime is that for you, God, to be most glorified. When we have that mindset, all our fears of rejection, fears of, of, of shame in our lives, they lose their grip. The antidote to the fear of rejection of the, is, is the fear of the Lord. The antidote to the fear of rejection is the fear of the Lord. So church, this morning I believe God is calling us to have a biblical sense of fear. A fear of the Lord where we begin to have radical God-centeredness where we're able in all areas of our lives to point to Him and say that He is Lord over those areas. When we see His holiness and His grandeur and we see how sinful we are compared to Him, our response should be running to the Father because there is no running away from Him. And because He is a good Father, His arms are open wide this morning and ready to embrace us. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I pray that you would inspire us this morning to come to our knees and to worship you in all your glory and your splendor. Help us to adopt a radical God-centeredness in our lives so that in all areas we can glorify you. God, for those of us that have been carrying the burden of shame, the burden of the fear of, of, of rejection, God, I pray that you would take that away. You have so much to say to our identities. Those things do not, do not identify us. Lord. When we come to you and we are known as your sons and daughters, you identify us. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray.